What's going on entrepreneurs, small business owners, and side hustlers everywhere. To get into the Seven Figures Club, which is the top 5% of business owners everywhere, we brought a guest on today, Eric Cabral. And Eric is an amazing entrepreneur. What he is, is he's an expert when it comes to building a personal brand. He left corporate America after 20 plus years, uh, jumped headfirst into real estate investing in order to achieve financial freedom. He educated himself, he built networks, he analyzed hundreds of deals. He purchased his first multifamily building in less than a year. And, and since then, he's really be, you know become an entrepreneur who has helped others build their brand through podcasting. So he built a podcast media agency, On Air Brands, which is uh, you know obviously an amazing company uh, that helps, uh, it's building different uh, shows. He's a part of circles like Entrepreneur Circle, Capital Hacking, uh, my good friend MC, uh, Cashflow Ninja, love MC, uh, love his show, been on there a couple times, and VaynerMedia's Chief Heart Officer, uh, Cloud Silver Show. So this is a guy who is well-connected in these massive brand circles out there with social media. He understands investment, he understands freedom, and we've got a story that I'm gonna ask Eric to share that he shared oh, no. at the event that I met him at, which was so epic. And somehow my wife like walked out in the middle. She had to go to the bathroom. I'm like, honey, this was your story. But anyway, you guys stay tuned. Eric, welcome to the podcast. There are over 32 million businesses in the US and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. Thank you. Thank you, Leo. And, and I appreciate you not going through my entire uh, bio there. It's too much. It's way too much. I was on a show recently and and the host, like, went, I was like, you didn't have to do all that, man. That was but I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, we're, we're excited to have you today. Eric, I always love to start these out and get some of this background. So this is interesting. I feel like a lot of people that go into entrepreneurship and, and that are business owners and, and very independent minded, you were a part of corporate America for a long time. And I've always said, there are massive opportunities in being an entrepreneur, kind of like a Bob Iger, who, by the way, just took over Disney again today. That was a good move, by the way. Uh, but then there's entrepreneurship, you know, where you take all the risks. So 20 years in corporate America, what was it that kind of eventually led you to say, all right, I'm out. I got to be independent. I got to start my own thing. What was it that led you down that path? Because that was that's a big decision after 20 plus years. I, I It wasn't the first time I tried to do something um, during that period of time, during the 20 plus years, um, I started a video game company, uh, specifically in the tournament space where I would gather a bunch of people um, and, and, and sell a, a competition like seats. You had to, you had to earn your way to, to, to play in the game. And then, it would be tournaments and the top three prizes went to the awarded to the winners there. And we did that for a little while. It was my first endeavor before the internet, you know, where you actually had to go to a brick and mortar to like start your business. And like, I went to uh, score 
here in New Jersey. I can't remember exactly what that stands for, but it's a, it's a small business sort of like uh, administrative and mentorship program. Um, and then they helped me create the LLC and all that stuff. And I remember back in the day, Leo, they actually gave me a stamp. It was like a, it, it, it would press into the paper, not not too dissimilar from a from a, like wax seal, uh, except you could punch the name of the company, which was Play America, into the paper, and it was like established, you know, two thousand and whatever it was, oh, two or three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really cool. They don't give that was out anymore. No, when we started company. Really cool. <laughs> but um, it was it was it 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 failed, mostly due to my. Um, hesitancy and 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 fear of of the competition, which was Xbox going live, PlayStation going live on gaming, and I was like, ah, I don't want to compete. I'm out of here. Um, and then it really wasn't until I, I climbed the corporate ladder. I was always always uh, hesitant to take a managerial position. I just wanted to be creative. That's what I love to do. I want to I want to design logos and all the fun stuff. And finally I stepped into, I think when I was about to have kids, I was like, oh yeah, I need to, I need to take this role and accept the responsibility. And the more money was, was, was also helpful. So, um, it wasn't until they were laying me off, brother, they were going to lay me off and they said, Hey, you know, we need your help. We can't afford to just lay everyone off. So can you lay everyone off in phases and let them know that they don't longer have a job after being in here for like some of them were there forever, like their entire careers, like 20 years there. Um, and I had to lay them off. And then the last person to leave would be me. So that whole picture and that whole process really scared me to think like, wow, I'm expendable big time. Like I helped them turn this half a million dollar business into a two and a half million dollar business uh, with the team that I helped to build. And um, yeah, I, I, I just felt used. And that was it, man. That was the catalyst for me to explore new options. Unbelievable. So you've been there, you invested everything that you had, you're being creative, you, you've helped it grow. A lot of your team has helped it grow. And then they're like, hey, Eric, thanks for all your help. Uh, can you just carefully, you know, fire everybody? And then when it's all said and done, maybe you can fire yourself. Thanks for your, thanks for your service, kind of like that. And you realize, well, so there's no way to live. I need to have control. So once you made that decision and you pulled the trigger, what was the first thing you did? And what's going through your mind? What's going through your family's mind? Like what's what's the next step there? Yeah. Well, I'm blessed to have a wife that supports me and all my mad ideas. Um, the only one she didn't support me in was, was trying to become a professional poker player. <laughs> That I thought was exciting. I always <laughs> wanted to do some rock star. I'm a musician. So I was like, yeah, it's like everything that looked like being a rock star, including how we met, you know, like I was on stage. So like, I love stages in any capacity, whether I'm playing the drums or singing, whatever. But um, it was really just the appetite to do something different because I was always in the creative industry um, and I evolved as a, as a person and as a, an employee and an entrepreneur, as you mentioned uh, earlier. And, um, but I wanted it to be outside of what I had already experienced. I was like, what can I do that's different? So as I started to explore this, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Robert Kiyosaki, that book that he wrote, uh, found its way to me. And I think at the time, dude, I thought it was the universe. I thought, oh, but now I realized the universe was the algorithm. The algorithm saw me Googling uh, you know, how to get rich probably is what I Google. I have no idea. 
but it was like, you could do stocks or you could do real estate. Yeah. He's going to love this book. And then the ad came up. I bought the book, listened to the audio while driving uh, to the job that was no longer going to be mine. And um, I was literally just angered and just frustrated, uh, but mostly inspired to do something, dude. I wanted to change my course, I didn't, you know, I got a job offer already. So I, I was always fine when these situations occurred. Um, so it wasn't that I was worried about getting another job. I was worried about just being on the hamster wheel and doing the same thing over and over and over, not feeling like I was truly growing. So I asked my wife, hey, I read this book, I'm really inspired by it. Um, he got rich off real estate. And I think that's what I want to do. And she was like, you know nothing <laughs> about real estate. What do you plan on doing? I'm like, you know oh. nothing, Jon Snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So she she allowed me the space and time, and she came to me to some conferences and realized, yeah, let's let's take the risk, let's try it, and that's what opened the whole world and the doors to other opportunities. And I went back to creative eventually, um, without first yeah. going. I had to become a real estate investor first. Yeah. Nice. And and with investing, it sounds like uh, what are the uh, the property types that you uh, found a lot of opportunity in over the years. It sounds like multifamily's up there. Yeah, multifamily was my first endeavor. I I jumped into the fix and flip sort of, you know, every, it's all cool and sexy. Um, but then I realized that there was an economies of scale here, you know, where it's the same amount there of effort is, yeah. can be done by, and you would make more money. And then if you hire some other people, manage your property. So that all worked. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And during that journey, I met a lot of wonderful people, um, had other opportunities, um, as I, I mentioned to you and the, and, and the crew over at BDC, big shout out to, to, uh, Sean and, and Lacey, they, um, you know, that, that we own the second oldest winery in the country called Renault, uh, which we're blessed. It also has a, came with a golf course, <laughs> a full 19 holes. And it also, is it 18? I'm not a golf player clearly, but also has a 50 room hotel that we renovated, um, and then that was kind of like where I rested my laurels. <laughs> I was like, um, I'm finding a lot of work over here at On Air Brands and a lot of people that I need to serve and a ton of clients that I'm meeting. Um, and yeah, that's, that's currently what I've been doing and, uh, yeah, plan to do more, but at this point, wow. Not, well, not, well, wait a second. There. So just, just to clarify, you said you got involved with a, a big project that included a hotel and a golf course then. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It was great. You know, um, came one of the sort of the, the owners and the, the GP there and um, just yeah. learned a ton, learned a ton while we were um, you know, developing and, and, and adding value to that project, um, you know, raising capital, starting a podcast to yeah, help yeah. raise capital and build relationships. All of that stemmed from, from just jumping into real estate. And then the podcast sort awesome. of came, came after. Nice. And so, so there you are, you're building your real estate empire. And then you're like, ah, how can we, you know, uh, get more capital? How can we build our real estate empire a little bit better? Well, hey, what if we start a podcast? What if we do this? What if we do that? Um, one thing leads to another and all of a sudden On Air Brands uh, is born. So what was the idea behind On Air Brands and what has it evolved into? So On Air Brands was a... Uh, traditional creative agency, you know, taking all my lessons and and my skill sets from corporate America, which you know, 
I appreciate what happened in corporate America. You know, I learned a ton and gained a lot of experience, knowledge, and and and, and confidence to to go out on my own. Um, if it wasn't for those opportunities, yeah, I, I would probably still be at a desk, you know, trying to figure out how to keep my job. <laughs> so um, it was uh, it was really all I knew, and that's what I would kind of went back to after I got you know like my first project under my belt in terms of uh, a multifamily. And at the same time, I was, you know, had, had side hustles, which was logos and branding and marketing. Yes, um, one of my yes. good buddies who, who was also my partner in Play America, the, the earlier company, um, his, he had a company already developing websites. So we kind of joined forces. So my clients would need him and then he bring in, and then we kind of like were loose partners um, developing websites and doing logos and branding and then eventually social media marketing. So that was on air brands. That was on air brands for a couple of years until I started my podcast, Leo. And then everything started to change from there. Like I did not know that was going to be the business. I thought I was going to do traditional stuff. Good, good stuff, Eric. So I think this is important for the audience to pay attention. We have a lot of people out there who have already gone full time with their business, but a lot of other people who are kind of they're at a crossroads. They're not sure, should I quit the job? Should I go all in? Should I keep side hustling? And I think for a lot of people, more a lot of the more successful business owners actually keep their day job, you know, while they're building their side hustle. And then eventually, for example, Sarah Blakely uh, starts Spank. She's still uh, selling, I want to say, fax machines and printers door to door in Georgia. And then eventually, you know, two, three, four years later, finally goes full time with Spanx, becomes a billion dollar brand, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a lot of success in doing that for you. Um, what made you comfortable um, to take the plunge and go full time, you know, with with on air? Was it the fact that you had done the side hustle for long enough to know that there was a market there? What, what are some of the steps you think that the audience people should follow before making that decision to go all in with their business? It. Um... It's opportunities, right? They they present themselves and we have to recognize yeah. when those opportunities are there. And there's going to be a point, and there was definitely a point in my my trajectory where I had to say yes to everything, especially leaving corporate America. You know, I had a very healthy, you know, yes. plus six, six figure plus uh, salary. So I had to figure out ways to, to replace that salary. It doesn't happen overnight. Oh, yeah. So yes, 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 yes to everything and everyone that came my way. And some of those were side hustle logos and branding while I was um, while I was investing, while I was looking for properties. And investors were the people that I was around every day, and they would see the work I was doing for my own company, my own real invest uh, real estate investing company, and they go, "Oh, who does your logos, your marketing, your branding, your social media?" I'm like, "That's all me." And they're like, "Oh, can you help me do it too?" So that's kind of like how it started to grow, and then I realized I can't do this. Um, by myself. So I had to start hiring like one and then two and then three people to help me eventually started to rebuild what I had built in corporate America, which is a creative agency. Um, and it was sort of through necessity, right? I had to do it um, because the money was there. The money was good. And I was also building a reputation in that community as like a creative person, a unicorn, they called me in a space of data-driven left brain thinkers, right? They're all analytical, there's no one there doing what I'm doing. Um, so that was like, That's wow, true. this is a That's blue true. ocean. This is a blue ocean. Yeah. Oh, uh, yes. And guys, if you've not read the book, uh, Blue Ocean Strategy that Eric just referred to, highly recommend you do. 
One of the strategies that is becoming not optional anymore, but a requirement in 2022 as we go into 2023, is building a powerful and effective personal brand. You're an expert at it and you help people do it every day. What are some of the things to think about or steps to take in creating that powerful and effective personal brand? And what happens if you don't? Yeah, yeah. So good. Thank you for that. Uh, if you're out there and you're like, man, what's, you know, personal brand, I don't even know what that is. It's basically your online reputation. So what you want to do, and back in the day, your reputation was really handshakes and uh, around coffee, uh, make sure that you don't screw anyone over and you take care of all your clients and customers. And over time, people will start to talk about you, recommend you to your, their friends and their partners and family. And all of a sudden you have a, a great reputation. That was like the old school way, but now how do we do it? We do it through content. We do that online. We do that not just through websites and our social media channels, but I think a podcast is one of the most wonderful vehicles to deliver your message on a consistent basis because it forces you to create content versus like if you didn't have a podcast, you're like, I don't feel like doing a live today or I don't feel like writing a post. Well, what I love about um, having a podcast is that you're going to record, you have to record or else you, you'll, you will pod fade is what we call it in the industry. You can't get past eight or 10 episodes. So all that energy and all that brain work for nothing, right? Um, so but once you get onto the path and you're starting to create this, now it's an engine. It's a machine that's just chopping up that interview or that solo cast every single week and doing the work for you, like spreading your message while you're asleep and selling for you while you're asleep. So this is a wonderful way to kind of syndicate yourself and create the digital breadcrumbs that lead to you um, in order for people to continue doing business or even be aware. Like I always recommend, you have to have brand awareness campaigns running constantly and create evergreen content. Then at the same time, you can in inject other types of uh, strategies. But at the very least, People should know that you exist and know what you do. Um, and if you don't, and I'll pause here, but I know you had two parts to that question, but there's there's the, if you don't, what will happen? Yeah, no, no question. But just just to kind of, you know, point out some important factors here that, that Eric's mentioned. When I was in Miami at this uh, amazing summit, we're right there on South Beach at La Fountain Blue. Uh, this is epic hotel right there on the ocean there in, in the Atlantic in Miami Beach. And Eric is there and he's dropping these amazing value bombs. And one of the most powerful uh, moments of that, and it was actually your story, which we're going to get into in a minute, um, you and your wife. But before that, you talked about, listen, guys, there are millions of podcasts going on around the world. But when you actually unpacked it and broke it down, the consistent ones that are actually really doing it consistently, like it was very minuscule. What what was that percent? I mean, it was super small. The actual amount of podcasts you're really competing is because most people start them. They don't stick to it. They don't go through it long enough to kind of, quote unquote, find their voice and build that network. Um, break some of that data down in terms of the opportunity that's still around that people don't seem to get with podcasts. Yeah. People get intimidated. Uh, I often get that question, Leo, like what, how, how I heard there's millions of millions of podcasts and yes, technically there are, you know, 2.8, it's always growing. Let's call it 3 million podcasts, 4 million podcasts. It doesn't matter. Um, so yes, that's an intimidating number. But one of the things I do respond how I respond to that 
that sort of limiting belief is when you walk into Barnes and Noble or when you scroll on Amazon and you see all the books that are available, but it's more effective if you actually walk into a library or a store and you could see the thousands if oh, not yeah. millions of podcast uh, of, of books. No one ever walks in and says, I'm not going to write a book. It's just every, everything's been written, everything. Well, the things that people say about books and everyone has a story in them is that no one is telling your story from your perspective and your experience and the lessons learned. So it's the same exact thing with podcasts. You know, when, when the numbers that you're talking about, I basically broke down um, um, how, how many Apple produces, which is, let's just cut that in half to, to say 2 million or, or one and a half million. And then you cut that in half when you talk about the active ones and they're active, what they consider active is a podcast was released in the nine past 90 days. One. So that's crazy. That that to me is not a successful podcast. That is not no. consistent <laughs> at all. So I so then I said let's narrow it down even more. Let's break it down. And all the way when we got to the end, we we're talking like two hundred and fifty thousand podcasts that are probably s- s- sending out an episode every every week. So less intimidating, right? When you put it that way. But then also I like the book analogy because it's just content and a vehicle for you to tell your personal story. And who wouldn't want that, right? Who wouldn't want that? So yeah, I just think it's just a way that people can frame it and look at it through that lens so that they don't use that excuse to start. No, it's huge. And and think of all the different topics out there, right? There's so many topics and the odds of somebody, you know, the competition even further divides down into those who are about your topic and your audience. And the interesting thing about podcasts that I've seen, uh, you know, throughout uh, the years, and and I've been running my podcast, um, I guess this is our second year, maybe it's been over a year and a half, but going on close to two years, is your best clients, your best strategic partners are the ones who have listened to your podcast because they feel like they know you, they've been with you, they understand the way you think and, and, and they like that and they connect with that. It resonates with them. Maybe you talk about more things than just whatever, you know, work, business, et cetera. And you build that personal brand up. And I thought one of the more interesting things, and I know you do this in your podcasts and, and you certainly, you know, help your clients understand this is, is telling some of the personal stuff and how that resonates with people. And one of the most powerful personal you know, stories I've ever heard of that resonates with people was at that event when you were talking about this crazy story uh, that you and your wife uh, went through. And, and you know what, how, time is kind of running short here, but what, tell us a little bit about uh, that story and, and even how kind of that had an effect on maybe your personal brand and certainly the way you look at uh, life and just, just how important it is to share real things and not just always, you know, perfectly curated uh, content, but Hey, this is real. This is what happened to me. This is what I'm going through. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can attempt to tell the story, Leo. I know we're pressed for time here. Um, and, and, you know, you saw the way I tell it, I'm very animated. You know, I can't keep still the cameramen were like, dude, you, it was so hard it to keep track epic. of you. I was, I was running back and forth on that stage, uh, telling the story about the birth of my second born Natalie on the side of the road. So spoiler alert, um, that is what happened. And, um, I just talk about, I, I walk us through the journey from, from waking up, you know, at six 30 in the morning, 
you know, to, to my wife mumbling into the, uh, the phone in the bathroom. Like, I didn't know who she was talking to, but then she came out and she was like, don't worry, everything's cool. Just, you know, pack and take your time. But that was the opposite of what I should have been doing. <laughs> and, um, you know, ended up, we had to, we had to get in the car and we had to hurry down to the hot through the hospital. I was literally like fast and the furious cutting cars off and weaving in and out of traffic and passing semis on the right shoulder. Like that's super dangerous. Um, and when I realized that we potentially wouldn't make it was when I saw out of the corner of my eye, she was pulling her pants down and I was like, Oh, it's go time, Leo. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta make something happen here. I found out later that there's a lot of guys who don't pull over or stop. Like they continue driving when that happens. And then the babies just plop into the dirty freaking car mats. Um, that was never really an option to me. I didn't play all this out of my head. I was just going with instinct. Um, but the one thing that I like to share is, is, is the, the seconds that it took to run around that car, uh, felt like 25 minutes to me. Everything was moving in slow motion. Everything was bullet time and, you know, cars were driving by. I could literally see the faces. I still remember. I'm like, Oh, she looks like a doctor. Or I was looking up at the house that I was parked in front of. I was like, I bet they have like hot water and like clean towels. And you know, I could call 911. And then I realized, oh, I got my, I got a phone. I don't need 911. And I called them and they're on their way. But the funny thing about it was um, when the, when the paramedics and the police came um, and I had caught Natalie, uh, you know, on one knee, as I told you uh, from the stage and she slid into my arms and she was all happy and healthy and breathing. Um, the, the police came and they celebrated me, not my wife. You know, they, they took care of her, but they, they practically lifted me on their shoulders. Like for he's a jolly good fellow. And handed me <laughs> I was, was going to start singing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With the cigar in my mouth. And then like it hit the news. It was all over the world. Like people were calling me from the Philippines and I was like, what is going on? I'm like, so... I'm just here celebrating the birth of my child. Why are everybody, why is everybody calling me? Cause it was, it was on the news, even in like New York city where I'm from. So um, it was an interesting experience. It became part of my story. I, I um I appreciate telling it from the stage just because I get that opportunity to to share it the way I do. You know, it's it's difficult. On, I've done it on podcasts before, but it's, it's it's harder. But yeah, if you have a story, so the point is, um, one of the things if you if if you give me a, a second to share what I wanted to break down, Please share it with during us. and not necessarily here because I wasn't you know in my element of telling this story, but uh, there's an acronym that I that that I follow here, and that is CAR coincidentally, because I, I was driving in a car. But when you're telling stories and you want to frame a story in a way that's very engaging, what we want to do is the first thing, which is C, is context and color, like create that atmosphere. So I did that really quickly here, uh, like being in the bed, 630 in the morning, my wife's on the phone and kind of like paint the picture for people, put them in the situation with you so that they feel feel something, right? Because that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to evoke emotion. We want people to connect and resonate. That's why we love movies, right? It makes you feel something sad, happy, all the emotions. So what we're doing is doing that through the story. And also when you're telling stories, please keep in mind that your voice is an instrument. It's a saxophone. It's a violin. There's ways that you can do highs and lows and like, you know, anger and sadness and joy, like use those pitches right? Be very aware when the camera is on, you know, they always say it adds 10 pounds. Well, it sucks 10 degrees of energy from you. So you have to sort of exaggerate. It feels weird, 
but exaggerate your energy levels, it's going to come off very well for you. If, if, if you do that, you can feel self, it's going to feel weird, but I would, I highly recommend doing it. So then there's the A, where's the action, paint the picture, right? I'm driving through there, weaving in the car, going around semis, like there's the action piece of it. So create some action and suspense for your story. And then the R is the results. Like how did the hero win at the end? How did, how, what was the gain? And for me, it was the gain. The win was the, the birth of my, my, my daughter, Natalie, who we named um, after the road, by the way. So she was born on North Post and Ward. So her name is Natalie Ward Cabral. So wow, that's great. Yeah, Just such like, an epic story, man. <laughs> but yeah, such thanks for letting me share that, brother. I appreciate it. No, that. thanks for sharing that. I, I just love that story. And, and it just it, it just uh it accentuates the importance to be authentic, to share not just business, but personal. And that's where you're going to connect. And when you can connect emotionally with somebody, like that's the decisions we make, right? We want to think. Especially as entrepreneurs and business owners that we're 100% logical, we make all these, you know, analytical decisions that lead to perfect logical and outcomes that we are destined to. But a lot of times there's some emotion backing it. And there certainly is for most buying decisions. And I think at the end of the day, when people are thinking about, well, who do I want to learn from? It is also that person that we like, no trust, who entertains, who has you know, a personal story, a personal brand, and they connect with us in that emotional way. And that makes us want to, dang, I like this, Eric. I want to learn more from him. I want to follow him. I like his story. I like that he's a, he's a father. He's a husband. He's real. I mean, I've, I've got five kids. We didn't deliver any of them on the side of the road. I don't know how I would have done on that. And I don't know how my wife would have done on that. So I'm, you know, big props to you and your wife. Cause that's uh that is absolutely amazing. I, I still can't, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can fathom that, but you would have been um, fine. I'm sure you would have done exactly what I did. Oh yeah, no question. <laughs> so at the end of the day, we're all pursuing this thing called financial freedom. Why do we need it, and how do you define it? For me, financial freedom, brother, is truly uh, not being overly concerned with paying the bills. Um, not being concerned with uh, so much growth, like you, you're good. Like if you, if 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 money were to stop now, you'd be fine, right? Everything's paid for, your family's taken care of. Um, that's because you have enough investments, and you have enough opportunities around you that pay for your base, that pay for the foundation of everything. Saying mortgage, car payments, food, like the basic necessities are all taken care of, and it's it's. It's a lot less intimidating when you break it down. Like, I highly recommend anyone who's listening who hasn't done this, um, do what? What is your annual nut? How much do you spend a year? So my wife and I did this when I left corporate. I was like, what do we actually need to survive and live? So we're blessed. We're in, you know, paint the picture. You know, white picket fence, suburbia. Uh, you know, four bedroom, two and a half bath. You know, two kids, two cars. Um, that's enough, right? We we don't need anything more than that. I don't need a yacht. I don't, I don't need you know a mansion. So when we broke it down, brother, it was eighty seven k a year. That was it. I was like, okay, that's my goal. I'm gonna create enough passive investment, meaning I don't, I'm not active in any of these investments. They they make money while I sleep. That is financial freedom. When you can accomplish your annual nut is covered by your passive investments, whether it's stock, whether it's it's it. it could be a lot of different things, right? For us, it's a lot of different things. But if you can do that, that's financial freedom, brother. It took a long time to sell it. 
but that's that's my definition. I I completely agree. It's it's when you know you've got the the basics covered. You're not, not worrying. You're not going to the grocery store with a calculator, and you have Cutting control coupons. where if money's money stopped, you've got passive income coming in. And I 100% agree with you. I mean, it's passive income from cash flow real estate properties that provides the best freedom, coupled with some recurring revenue. Hopefully, that you can build cash flow streams in your business as well. And those are the two things that uh, that create freedom. Well, Eric, I know a lot of people, and we always tell the audience, this is not a passive podcast. This is an active take action, implement what you learn podcast. So what is the next step that someone can take today? Where can they go specifically to connect with you, to learn how to build a personal brand, to learn how to implement podcasting, to have a chance to create financial freedom for them and their family? What's the next step that they can take today? Yeah, brother. So I have something for your audience, and I also share this with the BDC community, um, is my website. If you go to Eric, E-R-I-K, Cabral, C-A-B-R-A-L dot C-O slash guide. So Eric Cabral dot C-O slash guide. I do have an opportunity for anyone, whether you're a podcaster or not, I think it's relevant for you to read this two-page document um, that is all the tips and all the lessons that I learned how to speak on a podcast, um, either side of the mic. So I recommend that's a really good start for anyone out there, especially if you have no intention of starting a podcast. Read this and see, oh, maybe I can just guest on shows. And that's a wonderful way to sort of dip your toe in the water. Guys, that's Eric, E-R-I-K, Cabral, C-A-B-R-A-L dot C-O forward slash guide. I downloaded this when I was listening to Eric live. You better believe I did. It's the 21 plus tips to go from podcast SMO to podcast pro and so many amazing tips to build your personal brand. And it's these types of actions that set you apart from the competition that uh, endear you to your dream clients, your dream strategic partners that you want to work with. So that's the action. Be active, implement, go to ericcabral.co or forward slash guide, download this, take action. Uh, he's got amazing content on his website, but more importantly, this document is going to help position you to build your empire and to create financial freedom. Eric, thank you for sharing your stories, your professionalism, and your expertise on the Seven Figures Club podcast today. Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.